Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. here. If you are a guest with us today, first we want to say thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you being here to worship with us on this Sunday morning, this crazy holiday season. Uh, You are making time for what's important in your life, and we appreciate that. In fact, if you are a guest with us today, we hope that you were greeted and welcomed as you came in and were given a guest bag. In fact, this round of applause is for you to let you know we are so glad you're here. Thank you so much. Wasn't this acoustic set incredible? I'm telling you what. We have some incredible, the best worship director, the best worship leaders, the best band, and I'm honored to sit with them. Whenever they said they were planning an acoustic set, I said, I want to sit with you guys. I want to sit right there on the end. You can turn me down low. I don't care. I just want to play with you. And so that's what they did. That's what they did. So I'm up here. But I'm so thankful. We've even got a cello up here today. Like, it was just crazy having a cello up here. And so you know what's been going through my head all day? Cello. It's me. It's a, it's, a, it's a sickness, folks. I can't get rid of it. Either you connected with me or you didn't, and that's fine. It's fine. I, I want to make sure I share a couple things with you before I jump into the message. We're in the series called The Struggle is Real. Before I get there, um, Tim's already did uh, a few of the announcements, but there's so much going on in December that I want to make sure I, I visit some of the things he didn't talk to you about. Next Sunday is Ugly Sweater Contest Sunday, so if you make one or buy one, you can bring an ugly sweater and... Um, yeah, they pretty much look like that. So whatever you'd like to do, but there is contest. We are giving away prizes for both services next Sunday. So come and join us in the fun, please, and play. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. We'll do that. And then uh, we will have a Christmas Eve service. That'll be the 24th. It's a candlelight service here. 6.30 p.m. is when we will do that. So please plan to join us on December 24th. Bring your family. Bring your friends. People are likely to come to church at Easter and Christmas time, folks. So if you have any family and friends that won't come with you any other time at They'll probably come this time of year. So that's your time to invite them. And then we will not, we will not have service the Sunday after Christmas. I think that's the 27th. So please enjoy time with your family and, uh, and just spend time playing with your presents and putting together Lego Star Wars ships and all those things that take hours and hours to do. You can now take the time on Sunday morning to do that. So enjoy time with your family because I will be with mine in Kentucky. You can show up here, but nobody will be here to greet you. There will be no coffee and the doors will be locked. So there's that. Hope it's not awkward for you and you remember no service. One other thing I got to do before we jump into things is, is around here, we do not have church members. Uh, membership, when growing up, you know, you said, hey, I'm going to be part of this church. And you met with the pastor and you sat down. So what does that look like? And he would walk you through that. And then you became a card-carrying member of a church. Well, we don't have members here at this church. We have people that we call partners because membership speaks to rights and privileges. You know, if you're a member of the zoo, you go to the zoo and you expect it to be clean. You expect the animals to be available. Everybody's about, that's serve me. I'm paying for you to serve me and to provide something for me. And so we don't have members around here. What we have is partners. Partners are people that decide to link arms with us and say, God's given you a mission. He's given you a vision to reach this city and beyond. And we want to be part of that. That means we're going to serve next to you. We're going to give. We're going to come on Sunday mornings. Whatever it is that you all are doing, we're doing it with you. And we're going to walk alongside you. And so 
our partners uh, join up with us. And when they decide to partner, they go through something called Pizza and Partnership. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, I'll announce the next one here in a couple months. But you can step in, and I will feed you. We've, I fed these people Romeo's Pizza, which is fantastic. I don't know if you know that, about that or not, but uh, it's good stuff. It'll change your life a little bit. And, uh, and then we'll talk about partnership, which will uh, help you change other people's lives. Partners commit to connect, grow, serve, give. They, they can commit to being here and, and fellowshipping with us and fellowshipping with new people, welcoming them. Commit to being part of our grow groups and, and growing with others in Christ. And then they commit to serving and being part of, of a serve team. And then they commit to give. Say, hey, I'm going to get some skin in the game. I'm going to help you guys continue to do what you're doing here. And so those people are, are committing to that. And we are so thankful for that. And every year we do, uh, we, we give out a t-shirt. And uh, if you partnered in 2013, you have a t-shirt that looks like this. But on the back it says, owning the mission. Because our partners choose to own the mission since... 2000, it'll say 2013 on it. This one in particular says 2015. These are our, for our new partners that have just partnered with us, and we're so happy that they did. A lot of them were here first service, and I did not tell them that I was going to do this, but I'm going to embarrass them. I'm going to ask them to stand up. If you've recently partnered with Simple Church, a 2015-er, would you stand? I know that's Will right here, so I'm going to go ahead and call you out. You can stand. Anybody else that I'm not seeing because of the lights in this room? All right, so it's just Will. This round of applause, Will, is for you for joining us. <laughs> I have your t-shirt today, my friend, so see me after service. But thank you for choosing to partner with us. We've had partners in 2013, 2014, and we want to make sure we celebrate that with you uh, because that's a wonderful thing. So thank you for that. All right. This series, The Struggle is Real, what we've been doing is we've been walking through the idea that, that technology has been impacting us, and, and a lot of us are, are being impacted in ways we're just not even aware of. Uh, it's happening to us, and it's kind of like it, it slowly happened over time. Now, whether you're engaged in social media or the internet or, or the, if you call it the interwebs, you are probably not engaged in it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but whether you're engaged with those things or not, these, these, this topic is relative to you because it's not just isolated to social media and the internet and technology. It's not. In fact, the ideas that we're talking about today are only made bigger and, and um, more available to us and more influential in our lives because of technology. And, uh, and so we've been looking at how that stuff has been impacting our lives. The first week we looked at what, how it's uh, impacted our ability to be content you know, as we surf uh, Facebook and we surf Instagram and all these things and look at what everybody's doing, we begin to compare our lives. It's this compare and contrast. And when we see everybody's highlight reel, because they only post good things about themselves, we begin to compare our lives to theirs and just feel like we don't have anything to offer this. We're like, our life sucks, man. And so we, we become discontent. And so we talked about what do we do about that? Because we need to be aware of what social media is doing to us. And then the second week we looked at how it's impacting our relationships because we're more connected than ever through social media and through Instagram, all these things, the internet and email and text messages and our iPhones and iPads and you know, even if you're rocking a Droid or a, a Windows like one guy in here. You've got... <laughs> we're more connected than ever and yet we're so disconnected. We're so disconnected and so isolated, more... more more than ever. And it's because of what technology is doing to us. So we looked at how to handle our relationships and navigate those things last week. And if you missed either of those, those, are, those podcasts are available on our app, or you can follow us on, uh, through iTunes. Just look up Simple Church Ohio. You can subscribe, and they'll come right to your device if you have an Apple product uh, or just have uh, iTunes on your, uh, on your computer. So those, those messages will be a blessing to you. But today, or actually next week, we're going to talk about the subject of rest. Oh, in a season of hustle and bustle. It is so important that we rest, that we take a time, a break away from all those things. Because here's what's happening. Technology has made it so 
uh, so readily available for us to work 24 hours a day. We don't have to be at our desk anymore. We can be in line at the bank. We can be at the grocery store. And there's a notification that comes through. Somebody wants something from us, and we've got everything stored in Dropbox and Google Drive and whatever. We can do everything we need to right from our device. We are working all the time. And it's an important part of God's desire and his plan for our lives that we rest. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Today, we're going to look at the idea of, of uh, how, we are being, how our authenticity or our ability to be real is being impacted by technology and social media. And let me just put this out there. If it's your first time here with us, you've missed the last couple weeks, you need to know I'm not poo-pooing technology, okay? I love it. I love, I don't know what I would do without my device or my, without my phone or my laptop. Like, I don't know how I'd be able to function because I, it does enable me to get a lot of things done. I just think that we need to be aware of what's happening to us and how we're being impacted by it because some of these things are very negative things and the way that they are influencing our hearts and our lives and we need to be aware of what the gospel says, what the Bible says and how we should be handling those things. So that's why we're looking at this is to figure out how do we navigate this? What is the world saying? Where is culture taking us and what has God called us to, okay? So we're looking at that and, and, and this whole idea of authenticity, like look, I think it can be demonstrated through one thing and you, you begin to understand how, how guarded we are, how fake the world has become through something called a selfie. Everybody know what a selfie is? If you are unfamiliar with what a selfie, it is, a selfie is, it's the art of taking your camera, flipping it around, and cheesing as you take a picture. It is a picture of yourself, okay? Now, before all the iPhones had cameras on the front side, you had to do this, and then you could turn around and see what it looked like and decide to retake it. But now, you can see exactly what it is that you're looking at, and, uh, and, and you take a selfie, right? Your phone is even organized when you take a, a selfie. It organizes it in the album called Selfies. And, uh, and it puts it there for you. In fact, this, the, the selfie epidemic has increased 17,000% in the last two years. 17,000%. That means more and more people are taking pictures of themselves than ever before because it's easier, right? The struggle was real back in the day. Like when I was in high school, we didn't have digital cameras, did we? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is you, are you as old as me? They didn't have digital. They took a camera, or they took a picture, and then they sent that film off to somebody to develop that stuff. And you had no idea what you looked like, right? You'd take pictures of lots of things. You'd drop that thing off at the pharmacy or wherever you did, and a couple of days later, you had some prints in your hand, a duplicate, matte, glossy, whatever you wanted, right? Flat matte was better. The, the fingerprints on the glossy is no good. It's no good. Anyway... And so you got your pictures, but you had no idea what, you looked, what it looked like or what anything looked like back in the day. Does somebody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Or what about in high school? In high school or even in, in elementary school, they took your picture, man. That was a rushed process because they've got one day. Oh, dear Lord. Those watching you, watching the podcast and watching by video, live video, this, they've just thrown a picture up of me. And what is that, third grade, I think? Dear Lord. Y'all are some resourceful people. They did not do that first service. They did that between the two. Anyways, are there more? Okay, good Lord. Y'all, I love you. <laughs> that struggle is real. But you didn't know what you looked like. They took your picture. They, they herded you into a room. And, they, and you got in and you took your picture and even if you combed your hair and had everything set right and you know the technique like look down, look down, look down, look down, look up. Even if you had all that right, you had a technique on how you were going to get the perfect picture. When you got those pictures, man, 
Some of them give you the courtesy. They'd send them out, you know, before they posted them in the yearbook, and you'd look at it, no, no, sign me up for redos, right? But others of them, you never got to see it until you were in the yearbook, right? And you went from being like the cool kid to like, you thought you looked like Brad Pitt in your picture, but you really look like Sloth from Goonies. Hey, you guys. You know what I'm saying? Am I the only one? struggle is real. I personally hate being in group pictures with people anymore. Sorry, ladies, but I don't like being in group pictures with ladies either. It is really, really tough because why? What happens? Let me tell you what happens when you take a picture with a bunch of girls. Let me see it. Let me, let me see it. No, my head's not tilted right. My hair's not in the right place. Can we take it again, please? I'm going to look the same as I looked in that picture. This is me. Every single time. I cannot stand to take group pictures anymore because we want to look at how we look. What's happening today is we're filtering how the world sees us. That's what's happening. That's the epidemic with the selfies. They say that, that there's a percentage of people, it's, it's 33% of people, when they take a selfie, they, they touch up their picture and they remove blemishes. 16% of people begin to morph their face or they stretch their face so it looks appropriate. They're Photoshopping right on their devices, and then they post that up. Why? Well, it's this natural tendency to want people to see the best in you, to see the best side of you, to see the best image of you. And that's not a horrible thing, but you get into dangerous territory when you begin to post all this, and people have that expectation of perfection from you, and then you feel that pressure to be that all the time. It's not a very authentic look. With the life that we are projecting, whether it's online or through text or our pictures, is not the life that we are actually living. It's the idea that there's this veil. It's the front that we are putting up for people. It's the way we want them to see us. We filter everything. And this idea is not really new. We can go back all the way to the Old Testament and we see a character named Moses. Anybody familiar with Moses? Moses is a guy who had a veil on his face. Although Moses started with a purpose to protect the people, but wound up in a place where he kept that veil a little longer than he should have. Let's look at the passage here. This is Paul actually talking about that story, and uh, this, is, this is the crux of our, of our text today. I'm going to give a lot of it to you up front, and then we're going to wiki wiki break it down, okay? So just hang with me. It's a lot of scripture. But Moses wore this veil, and, uh, and here's Paul painting a different picture. In 2 Corinthians 3, 13 through 18, he says, we're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. Now, I'm going to push pause right there. There's another translation of this uh, that's not here up on the screen, but it says, the glory was disappearing, and Moses didn't want them to see it end. The verse continues on and says, but the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. So what's he talking about? There's been, up to this point, there's been, when Jesus, this is Jesus coming onto the earth, this is Paul the apostle, we're in the New Testament now, Jesus has come, died, rose from the dead, he's gone to heaven, and Paul is evangelizing the world, setting up churches, and he's writing this, church, this letter to the church at Corinth, and he's talking about up until the point that Jesus got here, there was 500 years of silence from God. There was prophets and priests. God would speak to the priests through his spirit in the temple. His glory would manifest in the temple, but God had been silent for 500 years. And the priests, 
And the religious leaders are like, we gotta keep, we gotta keep this going. We gotta keep up this facade that God is speaking to us, that everything is status quo, like everything's okay. But it wasn't. And so they considered, they continued 500 years of this veil making the people believe that everything was okay while they looked for their Messiah, but they got so caught up in the details, they forgot what they were doing. And he's saying that they're reading the law and the prophets, and it spoke of Jesus. It said, hey, he's coming. This is what it will look like. This is where he will be born. This is the circumstances surrounding his arrival, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. But the people couldn't see Jesus for who he was. They had a veil over their eyes. He wasn't recognized. It continues on and says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I love that verse. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Man, lots of stuff in there, lots of stuff. Here begins the breakdown right now. There's two reasons Moses wore a veil. When he came down off the mountain because he had spent some time with God, and God, this is where God has given him the Ten Commandments, his face was shining bright. People were scared. So he put a veil over his face to hide the, the, his face that was shining. I don't know if you've ever seen the toy like glow worms like when you were a kid. You could squeeze it and the face lights up. Like I imagine that's what Moses looked like, you know, but just not as cool because I'd want to push his belly and watch his face light up. But, but his face is shining, and that freaks people out, so they put a veil, he, puts, he wears a veil over his face. But he wore that veil for so long, the glory began to fade, and Moses had a reputation. He had a reputation for having a shiny face. And so when it began to fade, he kept the veil on because he didn't want people to know that, that the glory was fading. He didn't want them to know the thing he became known for was no longer Reality. So he, Paul is saying he, he wore a veil. He covered himself up. And we do this too, don't we? We cover things up all the time. We cover up our weaknesses. We cover up our failures. We cover. We run and hide when our, when our failures are presented to us just like Adam and Eve did. God comes looking for them after they've sinned and they've eaten the fruit of the tree and God's looking for them. Where are they? They're hiding, covered themselves up. Moses did the same thing when he killed an Egyptian Buries him, runs and hides. Instead of revealing what had happened and being honest about it, dealing with that, he chose to run and hide. Maybe you'd say, Aaron, that's not me. I don't run and hide. I'm pretty honest. That's fine. Maybe you're a parent and you have teenagers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Teenagers, they like to cover up things. They like to blame things. They like to shift the responsibility off of themselves. Maybe you're a boss and you've got employees and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or maybe you're an employee and you've got an employee next to you, a coworker that is like this, that when they get called on the carpet about something, they go, well, it's not my fault. I couldn't do it because they, they didn't do their job. We cover them. We blame. We put up a veil. We try to protect ourselves. And really, we probably could have done the thing that we were supposed to do. We just chose not to. We keep up this facade Maybe it's, you're not, you don't have the employee, the good employee veil up. Maybe you've got a spiritual veil up in your life. Maybe you look like super Christian on Sunday because you're here. You arrived on time. You got your coffee. You're sitting 
out here in the congregation and during worship, you may clap or you may have your hands up. And when the pastor's up here and, and he's teaching, buddy, you are taking notes. You've got the Simple Church app out. You're checking the events. Like, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'm signed up. I'll be there. When the offering bucket comes by, you're going to throw something in, buddy. You look like you got it all together. Maybe on Facebook, you, you quote the, uh, the scripture of the day that shows up in your email, you, you took the time to hit the button to hit share and everybody sees it and you like people's spiritual posts. There's scriptures and man, that's inspirational. Like, share. You look super Christian. But really, you're broken inside. Maybe you've slipped into a situation in your life you didn't mean to be. Maybe you've, wound, you've become addicted to something. And you don't want to talk to anybody about it because, well, if I did, if I shared what sin I've got myself tangled up in, well, if I did that, then they'd think less of me. That spiritual guru, that, that somebody who's got it all together spiritually, that veil goes away and they begin to see me. Or maybe you're the with it mom. You're the mom who's got it all together. You ran a 5K this morning. And really, you just kind of drove a 5K, but you posted, did 5K this morning. You didn't really run that. You just drove it in your car. Your kids look well-dressed, they get on to school on time, they've got their lunch packed, and they're getting good grades, and they're in the right programs, and, and you've, you've got them going in the right sports, they're the star of the team, and you look, from the outside to everybody else, you look like you've got it all together. Like, you know exactly what you're doing, and everybody wants to be just like you, but the truth is, you're insecure. You're not even sure if your parenting is turning out kids that, will, that, that are the, the right product. You have no idea. Will they, will they grow up? To love the Lord, will they grow up to be good people? I have no idea. You're confused and you're just as lost as the rest of us, but you have to keep up this image of being perfect. Or maybe you're the engaged father and that's your veil. Where every time you're at a kid's event, you're posting online, sitting at the soccer field, selfie. But it's likely that when you're there at the game, you're really not engaged with your kids at all. You're sitting there playing on your news feed and reading your emails and answering text messages and you're missing out on them most important time with your kids, but you're posting these things because you're looking for love and longing for likes. You want somebody to affirm you that you're, man, you're such a good dad. You're at all your kids' events. Look at that. But you're completely disengaged from your kids. You've lost influence and the ability to speak in their lives. But you can't let people know that. You can't ask for help. You've got an image to protect. Or maybe you're the workout guru. Maybe you're somebody, every time you're in the gym, you're in there posing. And you know how to stand to make yourself look big. People see you in real life and like, did you lose some weight or something? You just do not look as big as your pictures, you know? Or you post this, just slam a protein shake, getting my workout in right now. But you know as soon as you were done at the gym, you drove by the golden arches and you had to stop and slam a few. You know what I'm saying? Come on, I cannot be the only one who has done this. We put up an image. We want people to think that we're doing well, but we're not. We've got this veil, and danger comes from living a veiled life, and this is the danger, that a veil that covers the face eventually covers the heart. A veil that covers the face eventually covers the heart. In other words, you begin to live your life like you are that person. You begin to struggle to keep the image up. You begin to struggle and fight and be tormented within because you can't keep that image up. You cannot keep this perception of perfection going. 
2 Corinthians 3, 15. This is part of our passage we're looking at. It says, yes, even today, when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. What starts as something superficial becomes spiritual. This tendency to cover and to hide leads us to a place in our life where we are not authentic with anybody. We're not, we don't have people in our lives that we can be honest with and share what our struggles are. We, we don't have those people there. We, we're clouded in our own belief. And so we can't see God properly. We can't see ourselves properly. And we can't see others properly either. We're tormented. But this is what God desires from us. He does not look, he's not looking for perfection. David said of God in Psalm 51, 6, he says, yet you desire truth and sincerity. This is what God wants from us. Not perfection, not an image. God's not concerned about that. What he desires from us is our honesty. I think that, that today we lack honesty in our lives because of fear. Fear that if we're honest with people that they'll reject us. Fear that if I told you how much sin I had in my life or the things that were done to me or the things that I've done to others or the things that I'm doing now, what I'm trapped with, what I'm entangled with, what's really going on, that if I told you what was happening with me, that you wouldn't like me anymore, you wouldn't love me, you wouldn't be my friend, you would remove me from your circles, you would unfriend me in real life and on Facebook. Stop following me on Instagram and Twitter. We're afraid of rejection because we're honest. But the truth is, is that God loves you just the way you are. He doesn't need you to be any more. You don't have to be any less. He loves you just the way that you are. But our, our current culture makes us feel like dishonesty is acceptable. It's okay to be dishonest, to post things on Facebook that aren't necessarily true or to stretch that truth a little bit so that we keep up this image. But God says, I don't need that image. I don't need that from you. I just need you to be honest. I need you to be who you are. And honesty is pivotal. It's pivotal for your life. We need to be very careful too as, as we choose when and where we're honest as well. Like honestly, do you guys want me on a Sunday morning when I just ain't feeling it to go, man, had a rough week, can't stand my wife and kids right now, I'm not even sure if this message is going to connect with anybody, see you guys at 9.15 at Simple Church. You guys really, you don't want me to post that way. What you want to see from me on Sunday morning when you get up, which is my habit, you want to see something, Aaron got up this morning, I know he was up at 5 a.m., you know why? Because his post said so, and he says, we're going to have a good day at Simple Church, everybody come, 9.15, it's going to be exciting, I'm going. You want me to be inspirational, you don't want me to be honest. Uh, I thought maybe they, did they put something else up there again? No. <laughs> Just me, huh? Just laughing at me. But honesty is pivotal. Regarding what you say and what you post, I would say that everything that you say should be true, but not everything that is true should be said, especially in social media. Think about that for a minute. What you say in social media and in your life and in your world needs to be true, but not everything that's true needs to be said. Because if you take to social media and you're just being honest about what's going on in your world, that's not really the right venue, the not, not really the right avenue for connecting with people. What are you going to get when you do that? A like? Isn't that confusing? Worst day ever, like. It's not really the place to post that, right? 
What you need to be sharing that, the proper environment to share that is face-to-face with a friend. If you don't know how to do that, listen to last, last week's podcast. But that's where you need to be honest with people. We need to be careful of keeping that stuff in, of not being vulnerable. Because when we do, again, this attitude of veiling everything, that veil that covers your face will eventually cover your heart. It will cloud who you are. It will confuse you when you can't be honest with anybody with any part of your life. I know plenty of people who have taken this whole being dishonest thing. They're like, well, I'm not really lying. I'm just kind of stretching the truth. Like that girl in the opening video where she said, having lunch with, with my friends or having lunch with my buddies. And she leaned over and took a picture of people at another table to make it look like she was with friends or taking a picture in front, front of a picture of the beach. Hey, isn't this great? Like they'll stretch the truth. We do that a lot. We do that so that we keep up this image. And we have to be very careful that what we post is true, completely true. What we share is completely true. But you don't have to share everything that's true. David prayed regarding this because he knew our temptation to stretch the truth. He said, Lord, set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Stretching the truth makes us look better. But folks, we can't live our lives to impress others. That's not, that's not how we need to be living. We can't live a life that, where we just make sure that the pictures are just right, that the, whatever you see of me, I filter out everything else and only let you see the best parts of me. We, we can't do that. We can't live a life that is just for the social media persona because that's not a real life. You've lost your, yourself. You've lost your identity if that's the way that you are living. This perception of perfection is a dangerous trap. It's dangerous. What we say should be true, and we need to find the appropriate environments to be vulnerable. But keep this in mind. As you're posting things online and as you're having conversations with people face-to-face, that perfect people, they don't have many friends. Do you have a perfect person in your life that you would call friend? Do you? No. Why? Because we love to hate perfect people, don't we? They've got it all together. Perfect life. Perfect wife. Perfect kids. Man, we hate them. They've got a great job. They're making great money. Driving a nice car. They're so funny. We hate them. We do. It's our natural tendency. But perfect people don't have friends. Why? Because we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with others through our weaknesses. It's the truth. We connect with others through our weaknesses. And yet all of us post this way. We post, we put out our best all the time. We only let people see us at our best. How many of you know, know somebody who won't even answer the door unless they're wearing makeup? A few hands went up. I'm not even asking if you're that person. I'm just asking if you know a friend, you know. We want to look our best. We want people to see only the best of us. Like we've got it all together. We're hoping for love and acceptance or just likes. We're more connected than ever through social media and yet more disconnected because we know the truth about ourselves. And everybody we look at, we see them as being perfect. We have this perception of perfection. And when we look at our own lives and we see our flaws, we're like, man, I can't even measure up to that. How in the world am I going to connect with them? And so we write people off because of a perception of perfection. 
I, I couldn't be friends with them. Friends on Facebook, but not friends in real life. I couldn't have a deep, meaningful relationship with them. We're intimidated by perceived perfection. And so this, this presents a problem because we have no opportunity to connect with anybody. That's why we're more connected and yet more isolated. This idea of authenticity, it'll, it'll change your life. Perfection will lead you to isolation. But let me, let me just level the playing field here for you. Can I do that? The truth is, is every single one of you is messed up. Not me, just you guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All of us. All of us have issues. The Bible puts it this way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me just level the playing field. Every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us have flaws. There's none of us that's perfect. It doesn't matter what it looks like on Facebook. You got issues. Just because you're not playing them out in front of everybody doesn't mean you don't have them. You do. And when we can level that, that perception of perfection goes away. And we have the opportunity to connect with people again. This is Paul in Romans 7, 18 through 20. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I love Paul. He's just being honest here. There's good that I want to do, and I can't do it. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Anybody? Does this sound familiar? Sound like your story? This is Paul, the greatest apostle ever, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. He says, I'm the chief sinner here. I'm the chief of all of them. I'm the worst. Paul becomes instantly relatable because he says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. Paul struggled, but he's being vulnerable and he's being honest about his struggles. He's sharing them with people because he knows that's where we connect because we impress people with our strengths, but we connect through our weakness. He knew that was the way to connect with these people. Paul's even a guy who shared, hey, I got a thorn in my flesh. It's something that's just bugging me that I've prayed three times for God to remove from me. And God's like, nope, going to leave that there. You need to learn to lean into my strength and my grace that's available for you. You're going to deal with that the rest of your life. Okay? Paul's like, all right, dude. I got issues. I'm having to trust God to help me through it. If you look at the Bible, most of the heroes in the Bible were flawed. They were adulterers, they were murderers, they were manipulators, they were liars. They were all broken in some way, and yet God chose to redeem them, to take their stories and see past them and love them and use them to do great things and impact other people's lives. They were not perfect people. And the Bible is not written just so that it's a history book so that you can see what God has done. It is a lesson for us to show what he can do in our own lives, and what he can do with people's lives who are just as messy as yours. That's why the Bible was written for you. And the transparency of Paul allows us to connect with him. He says, people wronged me. I struggled uh, with with this sin. I've, I've dealt with depression. I've been shipwrecked. I've been rich. I've been poor. I've been through it all. And yet here I am content. But he's being honest about it. And it's this level of authenticity that God has called us to, to live this out. Second Corinthians, again, this is Paul saying, praise be to God, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those 
in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. What's he saying? Hey, you're paying your trials, the stuff that you're going through, the stuff that you've suffered for, through, if you will allow God, he will take all that and he will use it to love other people through that same pain and that same trial. He'll take what you've, what you've been through and turn it into your ability to bless others. He won't allow an ounce of your pain to be wasted. Not now, not ever. If you allow him to use that, you will be able to comfort others. But you have to learn to be authentic, to let that veil down and let people see you and say, I know what you're talking about. I've been there. I've been an addict before. I know what it's like. I've been broken before. I've been divorced. I've had people leave me. I've, had, I've been cheated. I've been robbed. I know what it's like. I've done stupid things. Here's the list of them. We connect with people through our weaknesses. Now, Jesus didn't come for the people that were perfect. He didn't come for the people who had it all together. He came for the lost. He came for the sick. He came for the broken to connect with them through their weaknesses. Think about it. All those of you that say you're Christ followers, at what point did you come to Christ? At a point of need where you confessed that you needed a savior. I can't make it. My life's unmanageable. I need you. It's a weakness. It's how you've connected with God in the first place. We're all here because we need him. We must be careful of veiled living. Wearing a veil leads to having a veiled heart. We don't see the truth about God, ourselves, or others. We buy into this veiled lifestyle that begins to drive us, and we begin to live to impress others, and we never connect with anybody because perfect people are isolated people. So how do we become authentic? I believe that most of us have a desire to make an impact in our own worlds, but we just don't know how to do it. We don't know how to connect with people. We don't know how to be honest. We don't know how to find that place we're afraid that we'll be rejected. If we are honest, there's three, three simple things I'll, I'll give you really quickly before I close today. The secret to authenticity, the first thing is to acknowledge the veil. Acknowledge that you've been living a life where you've, been, you've kept this veil up. You've kept up this image, this persona that everybody thinks you are and you're not. Acknowledge it. So that's me. I've been doing that. The message version of 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, we refuse to wear masks and play games. It's a choice you have to make to remove the veil. It says, we don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. And Paul definitely did this. We see this time and time again. He was honest about his sin, honest about his struggles. And we need to be honest with each other about our tendencies. We need to be honest with each other about our temptations and about what we're going through. We have to be honest. And we need to resist the temptation to cover it up. It's the only way to connect with people. And once we decide to be honest with ourselves, then we need to turn to Jesus. That's the second thing you had to do. Paul calls out in one of the verses, he says, who will deliver me from this cycle of sin. It's Jesus. It's the only way. Going back to the, the text that we started with, verse 16 says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When we recognize our veiled living and we turn towards Christ, that's when everything begins to change for us. You want to know how to be authentic? You need to be transformed. You need to be changed. You need to let down the veil. Say, all right, here it is. This is it. 
I'm going to turn to Jesus. That means I'm going to turn away from the way I've been living. I'm going to turn away from trying to do it myself. I'm going to turn away from trying to keep this image up. And I'm just going to turn to him. The Bible says that when we do that, we are transformed. You're not a better version of you. You become a new you. It calls it a new creature when we turn to Christ. That's what happens to us. You want to be able to be authentic with people? You want to be able to be real with them and connect with others and serve them through your pain? Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. And when you turn to him, you're not going to find what you expect. See, the world tells us that turning to God and, and religion tells us that when we come to Jesus, we have to be perfect, that our life has to be in order. Everything has to be set just so before we can walk in the doors of a church or fellowship with other Christians and become a believer. But when you turn to Jesus, you find that that's not true. Jesus loves you just the way you are. He says, come as you are. That's why the sign on our door says that. Our invitation cards say, come as you are. We don't care what you're entangled with. Jesus doesn't either. Come on. We want you here. And when you come to Jesus, you find two things. You find that he gives you mercy. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. We're sinners. We deserve death. That's what the Bible tells us. All of our mistakes. We don't deserve anything good. We deserve death. And Jesus says, I'll give you mercy. I won't give you what you deserve. And the second thing he gives us is grace. Grace gives you what you do not deserve. That's forgiveness. That's eternity in heaven. That's peace. That's joy. That's restoration. He gives us these freely, no matter who we are, if we are willing to turn to him. And that moment of turning, that moment of being real, being authentic, and saying, I need you, Lord, changes everything. Changes the way you interact with others. The verse continues on and says that, that the way we keep from returning to that is that we live from the approval of God instead of for the approval of people. Understanding God's love for you is unconditional. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to lose it. There's nothing you need to do to be more acceptable. And when you come to understand those things, when you come to know God's love, that's why Paul prays over and over again, I pray that you would just understand his love for you. It changes who you are. You no longer need the approval of people. You don't, you're not searching for likes and love online. You have approval and you have love. You have likes from God, right as you are, right now. Our passage says, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Look, there is freedom when you turn to Jesus. Freedom from the, from the ruse. Freedom from keeping up appearances. You don't have to any longer. There is freedom. It continues on and says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. What happens when your life is changed is you become something we call the shiny you begin to reflect what God is doing in your life to others. And they begin to see it and they begin to develop a spiritual hunger. What is different about this guy? What, can, what does he have that I don't have? And it finally wraps up and says, and the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The more time we spend with God, the more we change as a person. We don't have to be perfect to begin walking with Christ. We just need to be honest. And we can begin today. We have to be honest that we've been living for likes 
that we've been keeping ourselves veiled. And in the process, we've lost connection with people and with God. And once we've been honest, we can turn to Jesus. And then we can live from his approval and not for others' approval. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed, let me first speak to the Christ followers that are in this room. You'd be willing to say, I've been following Jesus, but somehow I've lived or I've slipped into this life of living for perception, afraid of rejection. And I totally understand if you've slipped into that because it's easy to do around the holidays, man, when you have to, certain people that you want to see, there's that veil you want to throw up, that image, that persona that you want to keep, and you're working hard to do it. It's totally understandable, but you'd say, I'm caught in a trap. The veiled face has led to a veiled heart. I'm not living from a place of God's approval. I didn't mean to get here, but this is where I am. Maybe an addiction has crept in. Maybe secret thoughts that you've entertained for too long. Maybe you've suffered a hurt or a loss that you've not revealed you need help working through. But today you say, I need to get this part of my heart and my life right with God. I need to commit to being vulnerable, finding an environment and relationships where I can share this and have God and those people work with me to connect with others through my weakness. This is what James 5.16 tells us to do. The healing comes from relationship with others and with God. If you're here today and you say, Aaron, that's me. I'm a Christ follower and I've slipped into this, this veiled lifestyle. Today I want to turn that around. Today I want to begin it. I want to identify there's a veil. If that's you, would you just let me know by slipping your hand up in the air and nobody looking around. Say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, thanks for that. His hands up all over this room. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. That's awesome. The great news is, is that the veil can come down today and you can begin to live a life from his approval, from his acceptance, and not for anybody else. Father, I pray for every person that was so bold as to raise their hand. Lord, I pray, God, that you would begin to minister to them now, that you would help them take down that veil to know the steps that they need to do in order to live an authentic life instead of one that is veiled, one that has driven them to be tormented in their hearts and their minds, working so hard to keep up that image. Lord, I pray that as they, as they discover the power of authenticity, Lord, that you would bring people into their lives. Lord, that when they reveal that, Lord, they can connect with them. They can walk through it. They can be healed. Father, we need you to do this work. We, we, it's outside of us. It's outside of our scope. If we could do it ourselves, we, we wouldn't be here. We need you to do this work, and we ask that you do it in Jesus' name. And Lord, do it. Do it. I speak to everybody else in this room. You'd say, Aaron, you know, I'm willing to be honest today that I'm, I'm not a Christ follower. I've been living my life with a veil on it. I've been working hard to keep up the image. I've been working hard to keep up the, the appearances, doing everything that I can so that nobody knows that I'm broken inside or that I'm hurting or I'm lost or addicted. I'm worried about rejection. I'm worried that if I say that I'm struggling that people won't receive me because I'm not perfect and I need God's love in my life today and I'm ready to take that step. If you're ready to take that step of faith to become a Christ follower, know that as you take that step, we, wanna, we are here to celebrate that step with you. We want to know that you want to do that today. And we want to celebrate that, and then we want to take every step after that with you as you move towards Christ. 
If that's you and you're here today and you say, Aaron, I know you're going to pray in a moment. Count me in on that prayer so that I can today connect with God, that I need him. And I know to do that is through his son, Jesus. If you'd like to make that commitment today, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want me to be counted in on that, would you just shoot your hand in the air right now and say, that's me. That's me. Today, I want to commit to being a Christ follower. Is there anybody else? I'm going to pray this prayer, and you just need to mean it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud necessarily, but you're welcome to. It's a prayer that says, Jesus, I need you. Be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Transform me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe that you're the Son of God, that you came, you died, you rose from the dead and are waiting to greet me in heaven. Show me how to live for you, Jesus, and I'll, I'll spend every day doing it. Tear down the veils in my life. May I live from your approval and not from the approval of the people in my world. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. But today I have a question for you that I ask every Sunday. 